the sound of a voice echoing through the air a tale to be told a story to share a podcast is born from the minds of the few a unique perspective a point of view with each episode a new journey begins a chance to learn to grow and to win so grab your headphones and tune in today to the world of podcasts and all they convey Before you think I wrote this cute little poem about the morning brief let me tell you that it was not written by me but by the subject of today's episode chat gpt chat gpt chat gpt chat gpt chat gpt what is it chat gpt is a tongue twister people have been wondering when we would see the next step in natural language processing from the world of ai and it looks like the future is already here ChatGPT, developed by artificial intelligence firm OpenAI, has been the talk of the town since it came out late last month. It's the newest modern-day oracle that is not ambiguous. Called a massive leap in AI, the chatbot can generate text and provide wonderfully articulate answers to your questions. But it will not only answer your general knowledge questions and write emails for you, In the last 1 month people have used it to ask it really any type of question you want as for example we've asked it if unicorns exist and it said you know a very nice little answer that unicorns are a fictional character and most likely don't exist some people are using it to clean up their code other people are using it to help draft cover letters essay blog articles i asked the chatbot to write me an essay about quantum physics and pokemon generate or summarize consulting reports television scripts fixed coding errors write entire lectures even explained scientific concepts in the voice of a pirate even write code even asking it to write a love song for you aside from writing a poem for india's best business podcast ChatGPT has been called the most disruptive technology since Google and indeed a disruptor to Google. It has also been called and I quote a world-class bullshit artist and a drunk guy at a bar who talks non-stop, gives random information and keeps repeating stuff. All these extreme use cases and polarized reactions in a matter of less than a month. But the company itself has warned that its replies are often inaccurate. But what is the hype behind ChatGPT? What are the pitfalls? Also, are such chatbots becoming popular in India? Are there any use cases for AI in India and is its power being harnessed enough? To find out, stay tuned. You're listening to ChatGPT Explained and Explored, the ABC of the new AI rage with your host Dia Reki. It's Friday, December 16th, and you are listening to The Morning Brief from The Economic Times. Our guests today are Ajay Agarwal from the Rotman School of Management in the University of Toronto, who has also written the book Power and Prediction: The Disruptive Economics of Artificial Intelligence, and Akrit Vaish co-founder and CEO of Haptic who pioneered the wave of conversational AI in India. Mm-hmm. 
Before we dive into the conversations, here's a quick primer. To start off with, let me first tell you what a chatbot really is. It's basically a computer program designed to simulate conversation with human users, especially over the internet. Now, coming to what ChatGPT is. OpenAI, which is the artificial intelligence research firm that developed ChatGPT, describes it as a model that interacts in a conversational way. It says the dialogue format makes it possible for ChatGPT to answer follow-up questions, admit its mistakes, challenge incorrect premises, and reject inappropriate requests. ChatGPT was announced by OpenAI on November 30th, and since then, the company claims that it has more than a million users. Also, a small side note here. San Francisco-headquartered OpenAI was founded in 2015 by a group of the biggest names in Silicon Valley, including Tesla CEO Elon Musk and Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI. But Musk didn't stay directly connected with the company for long. In 2018, though, he left the board of directors but said he would continue to donate to its mission. But coming back to the present day, ChatGPT is going viral for its Q&A tool, which allows a user to ask literally anything under the sun and get an appropriate and detailed response from the machine learning and artificial intelligence trained robot. Also, it is free, free, free. For now, at least. It'll remain free during OpenAI's feedback period, where the company hopes to use the reviews to improve the final version. So if you haven't asked ChatGPT a question yet, maybe you should. But only after you finish listening to our episode, of course. And now that you have the context, let's put Ajay Agarwal in the hot seat and direct some of our questions to him rather than ChatGPT. Thank you so much, Ajay, for joining us on the Morning Brief today. Just to start off, could you give us an idea of what you've asked on ChatGPT and whether the results were accurate? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I've been experimenting quite a bit with ChatGPT. And I will admit that I was shocked. Uh, you know, I've been working with these language models for several years. And this one definitely is operating at a, at a new level, at a significantly more sophisticated style of interaction. So a few examples, I teach MBAs uh, in the business school and I gave the chat GPT some MBA uh, exam questions and I was very surprised at the quality of the answers. And so this is for you know a recently sophisticated second year course in applied economics. And so that was very impressive. I, I'm on the board of a publicly traded company. And as a uh, experiment, I asked GPT to write a letter to the board members in the voice of the CEO. And then I sent it to the board members. And only at the bottom, after they'd read the whole thing, did I tell them that the letter had not been written by the CEO, but by ChatGPT. And several of them wrote back and said, wow. When I wrote that email, in the voice of the CEO, I wrote it. And then I said, this is good. Rewrite it with a more positive tone. And so it remembered what it just wrote. And then it redid it with a more positive approach. And that's new. 
That's very interesting. But, you know, there's so much being written about how this is, you know, something that's going to change the way the world operates and so on. How significant really do you see this as a development? It's the first thing I think I've seen in a very long time that could change user behavior with respect to, for example, using Google. So right now, let's say that you wanted to look for guests who were potentially knowledgeable and could come on your show and talk about ChatGPT. So you probably would do a query on Google. And then Google would serve you up 10 links and you would skim through those links. You would click on a few. And then based on the, you know, the quality of those links, you would weight your different responses. So you would have learned about different people. And then you might have done another search if the first search wasn't good enough. Now, someone would type into ChatGPT, say, who are the five speakers that would be most interesting to come and talk about ChatGPT? And rather than going and then looking at a number of links, it synthesizes all that for you and brings it back to you in a synthesized way. So in the form of, mm-hmm. of language, like the way you and I speak, rather than you know, the step of you having to formulate a query, then go and look at a bunch of links, then click on the links, then read the information and assess for yourself and come back and say, okay, here's five people that we should follow up with. You could just do all of that in one step. Right. In fact, I was actually reading your article in the Harvard Business Review where you essentially said that, you know, chat GPT has the potential to take over certain roles like, you know, copywriting or answering customer service inquiries or writing news reports and even creating legal documents. Now, as a reporter, I can't help but ask if people like me should be worried. Is that something that you would suggest we do, like get concerned about our jobs? So I would say the opposite for your particular job, because your job is deciding what you're going to speak about. So the most important part of your job in this new chat GPT world is not the background work that you do. So what you're doing is you're taking the reputation of yourself and your organization and using that as a curator out of all the topics. So I would say your job becomes more important, more valuable, not less. And so how I would characterize chat GPT is chat GPT has just created a plunge. So when the cost of something falls in economics, the value of the complements to that thing drop. So now we have machine synthesis of information. That means the value of human synthesis of information drops but the value of the complements to that thing go up. And in this case, the complements to synthesizing information are curating and presenting it. Now, the world will be flooded with even more articles and things online than before because people can produce them so much faster and cheaper. So that means that it becomes even more valuable to sift through all that and decide what's important. People still, even though now we will have billions of more articles because of ChatGPT, you and me, humans, we still only have 24 hours a day. So the scarcity of our time hasn't changed. The scarcity of our monkey brains to process information hasn't changed. So no, I would not worry in your case about losing your job. Your job will be more important. There is also a huge concern for something like plagiarism and stealing of IPs and the larger ethical questions that have been raised when it comes to AI. Because while you're saying that, you know, it creates this huge opportunity for new use cases to come up, this is also a huge concern that's being talked about quite extensively. So how do you see that progressing? 
It's a great question. And I think that will be a question that we will be seeing debated and argued and both in sort of forums like this, but also in policy circles. And I don't think there's a clear answer. Just as we are still a quarter century after Google showed up on the scene, we're still debating the intellectual property rights of platforms like Google and Baidu and Facebook and so on, where you know they have a business based on effectively providing access to other people's content. Here, we're in a scenario where these models like ChatGPT are trained on all the information on the internet up to a certain point in time. And so when you type in a prompt into ChatGPT and it gives you a response, that response has been trained on all this text that other people have created. So the stuff that ChatGPT outputs is probably not a direct match to anyone's prior text, which, by the way, has created a real challenge at universities and schools because now students can use ChatGPT and present the output as if it was their, they wrote it themselves. In universities like mine, when students would submit an essay, we would put the essay into a system that would check for plagiarism. It would check for matches of chunks of text if there was like a word-for-word -word match. Now that's impossible because the content that GPT creates will be novel. In other words, that specific sequence of words might not exist anywhere on the internet. So there's no way to point to that and say that was copied. We will have to change what we value students' ability to be. And so we will have to shift our emphasis on what it's important for people to learn to do. I don't think there's a simple answer. And I think you and I could be on this show in five years from now and 10 years from now, and there will still be uh, wide open questions with regards to intellectual property on this topic. That's very interesting. In fact, like if I can just broaden the discussion a little bit and ask you about what the challenges with AI are being seen as globally and what you see as solutions to this. So I think that the biggest challenge to AI, in my view, and it's not one that I think has been widely discussed yet, has actually less to do with AI. AI is sort of the secondary character in the story. The primary character is us people. I think that we are not nearly as smart as we think we are. And so the problem with being not as smart as we think we are is that we are much more manipulatable than we realize. Like you and I think that I would imagine a single statistical AI model can predict similar things about you and I with remarkable accuracy. So that leaves us very exposed to being manipulated by people who use these tools. For example, if you and I are both given a whole long list of stories or news articles or music or movies, it, the same model can likely predict which three things you'll pick and which three things I'll pick. And therefore, it can probably predict which things will make you upset, which things will make me angry. And therefore, it's able to manipulate us. That is quite concerning when you think about the ability that this technology creates for us to be manipulated. But I think that, like the most foundational societal issue with AI is that it's an extremely powerful 
statistical tool that uses what's called multimodal data. So in other words, not just numbers in a spreadsheet, but video data, audio data, heat sensor data, you know, uh, heartbeat data, everything can be used to train a model to make very high fidelity predictions, which allows things to be very personalized. And when they're personalized, it can be used to press our buttons. But I should remind you that some of the most powerful companies in the world, uh, let's say in the US, for example, uh, like Google and Facebook, and they are entirely predicated on the business of manipulation. And so what I'm saying here is this technology just enables that to be taken to a whole new level. And, And that can be used for good and for not as good. So it shouldn't necessarily be viewed as necessarily dystopic. Whether it's dystopic is up to us as society of how we use it. But it's certainly got that power and we shouldn't fool ourselves into into thinking otherwise. Ajay, even as users flock to the ChatGPT site to test its limits, what would you recommend to those exploring how best to understand what has been put out there? I would just encourage your listeners who haven't tried it. If you haven't tried ChatGPT, I encourage you to try it because anyone, if you are able to use Google, then you're able to use ChatGPT. Just pick something that you're interested in or that you're familiar with and ask it some questions. And don't use it just like Google where you ask, where you sort of type in one thing and then get a response and stop. When you try it, converse with it like you would with a person at a coffee shop. When you type in your first thing and you get a response, it will feel not that different from Google. It will feel a little different because it'll come back as a synthesized response. But it's not until you ask your second or third follow-ups that it will then you'll really realize, oh, now I get why it, it is what it is. And I think you know that's the one thing I would encourage your listeners to do. That way, they will all appreciate this new world that's just we you know that's just been created for us. Now that we know about ChatGPT, it is essential to understand the broader implications for India and to widen the scope of the discussion to talk about artificial intelligence as a whole and why ChatGPT was not built in India. I was reading a report by Accenture that said that AI has the potential to add $957 billion to India's economy in 2035. I asked Akrit Vaish, CEO of GeoHaptic. If you haven't heard of Haptic, it is an Indian enterprise conversational AI platform that was founded in 2013 and has helped brands like KFC, Whirlpool, Starhub, HP, Reliance Geo, Siet, Disney Hotstar, Ola and Zurich Insurance, among others, to engage with users. In 2019, Reliance Geo acquired a majority stake in Haptic for $100 million. The telecom company currently holds 87% in Haptic, while the founding team holds the remaining stake. As someone from the business, I couldn't stop myself from asking Akrit the burning question in all of our minds. Does increased dependence on AI put countless jobs in jeopardy? You know, with every new big wave of tech, these questions always got asked. That with fuel-driven automatic cars, you'll not need drivers anymore. With ATMs coming, banks and branches and tellers will become extinct, and so on and so forth, right? But if you think about it, 
every new large wave of tech eventually ends up moving the world forward and eventually creates a whole new set of jobs. Everybody said banks won't exist anymore, but guess what? The same tellers became free to devote time to doing other things that they were otherwise just giving money for earlier. And that has meant that banks have been able to do so much more in these last 20 years. So similarly, I think that whether it's ChatGPT or any type of AI, yes, there's going to be the initial observation looks like, oh my God, like now you don't need people. But this will just end up creating a set of new tasks and things that people will have to do, which will make jobs a lot more intelligent, which will make jobs a lot more productive. Whereas a lot of the stuff that anyways was more mundane uh, will be done by machines. That's interesting, actually. And kind of like coming back closer to home, how popular have AI chatbots been in India specifically? And I'm saying this because I've used a couple of chatbots here and I have not found them extremely useful because I just find that it's either the answers that I get are not up to the mark or I'm not satisfied. Have they been successful and where have they fallen behind if they have? Just let's take ChatGPT as an example for a second. And like right now, everybody believes ChatGPT is working beautifully, which is fair. ChatGPT is working beautifully as a horizontal general purpose Q&A system, right? Which means that it's a little bit in the zone of being a better or a much more advanced Google. The chatbots you're referring to are not a general purpose, all-inclusive Q&A, but really mm. workflows that need to complete tasks in a very specific function. No chat GPT in the world can change your flight ticket on an airline portal better than the existing chatbots because that is not necessarily an AI problem. That's a workflow and functional problem. So that's a, that's a very big difference. It's like the analogy is you go to Google and search for something versus you try to make a phone call and, you know, do a complete a task. Now, where the opportunity lies is the same underlying technology and models used behind ChatGPT can be used by companies like a haptic to verticalize it and power their functional chatbots like changing a flight ticket. For example, talking to the customer support of a bank. So I think that's where the distinction is important to draw, which is that it comes down less to the AI or technology. It comes a lot down more to the workflow, the functionality, the systems that they're integrated with and whether you know the function can actually work. What are the use cases that have gained a lot of traction in India then when it comes to AI chatbots? So see, everywhere in the world, including India, the low-hanging mm -hmm. fruit have customer support. I think what's more interesting is what's coming up, which is uh, moving forward, we are now seeing customers and businesses wanting to also complete transactions over chatbots and actually move to a more end-to-end -end journey rather than just customer service. So for example, make a bill payment, you know, if you're interested in a, in a loan or an insurance, submit all your information. If you're interested in booking tickets or travel, do end-to-end -end all of that through a chatbot, particularly on channels like WhatsApp in India and SMS in the US. These are things that we're starting to see become very popular as we kind of move forward into 2023. Okay, but Akrit, uh, what would future possible use cases be? There's a massive opportunity uh, in India first problems, which AI can do, which there are, there's a lot of effort that's being put in. 
And that's basically across three things, agri, education, and health. I think there are tons and tons of things that you can do. If you just take an example in agri, right? Just predicting better for farmers, you know, around soil, around weather. I mean, that that's a sure big problem for them. Uh, there's already work that's happening over there. If you say health, you know, wouldn't it be great if you could be told in advance what's going on versus having to wait to do a test or find out later. And then education, right? I mean, some of the things, the homework stuff is interesting, but, you know, what could you do better to teach students uh, at least some basic fundamentals that don't necessarily require a teacher and the teacher could come in for more complex topics. In that case, then one teacher, instead of doing a ratio of 1 to 20 or 50, could do 1 to 5,000. And suddenly you're seeing that, you know, you 100x better impact when it comes to students. So I think just some very first principles, India first problems is where the greatest impact lies. Any numbers that you can give us on how many AI chatbots are being used or, you know, maybe the number of users and or even actually how many of them have been developed by Indian tech companies? Uh, some of that maybe I can answer. So, you know, currently uh, in the B2B space, which is Indian tech companies implementing platforms and chatbots for businesses globally. Yeah, if you think about the global landscape, a large number of Indian companies are leading the way globally. So there's us, there's Gupshup, there is Yellow.ai, you know, there's actually Core.ai, which is a global leader. They are US headquartered. Right. Uh, they have a large presence and team in uh, Hyderabad. So, I, you know, and then there's a few more, right? I would say amongst these companies, you can say that about a quarter of the world's customer-facing enterprise chatbots are now powered. So that's like a fairly high number. I think coming back to India... You know, if there's broadly 400 million internet users, um, I think about 50 million till date would have engaged with some sort of chatbot, either on a website or a WhatsApp. So the top cohort in that sense would have engaged at some point or the other, but also WhatsApp becoming very popular. And what about the government? Do you feel like policymakers are doing enough to really harness the power of AI in India? So, you know, it's funny. Actually, this is one space where policy is probably doing even more. Oh, so, interesting. I've actually myself seen that policy has AI much higher in their agenda than perhaps India Inc. And the main mm. reason was because the geopolitical angle around data. I see, right. AI is basically driven from data sets, right? India can have large Correct. amount of data purely because of the volume of people. And how do you balance that out against geopolitical issues? So I actually think there's a lot of effort and work going on across policy. There is a bunch of think tanks. Nitiyo has leading the wave on a lot of policy stuff. They are the ones pushing ink and startups to do a lot more and care a lot more about it. So there, I think this is one area where actually they've been ahead of us. As we wind up this episode, here's some trivia. The first chatbot, Eliza, dates back to 1966, but it was not until 2016 that Facebook allowed developers to place chatbots on Messenger. The interest in chatbots started to subside in 2019, but has been given a new lease of life since the pandemic, as many brick-and-mortar shops were left with no option but to go digital. As per some estimates, by 2025, the global chatbot market will reach over $1.2 billion and 70% of consumers will replace their visits to brick-and-mortar shops 
or banks with their virtual assistants over the next three years. Here's another interesting metric. By 2024, retail consumers will spend over $142 billion via chatbots, which is up from $2.8 billion in 2019. So it's safe to say that the market is enormous and India's potential to leverage the space is also massive. Many believe that the first step for India is to create a comprehensive long-term vision and roadmap for AI in the country's economic development. Recently, the government drew up a seven-point strategy that would form the framework for India's strategic plan to use AI. The National AI Plan with clear milestones should be set as a priority. And India Inc definitely needs to catch up with the policy developments in the space and ramp up investment in the AI domain. For me, it's truly incredible how well thought out some of ChatGPT's answers are. I really felt like I was speaking to a friend at one point. I asked ChatGPT how I could make Aditya Roy Kapoor fall in love with me. And it very plainly said it can't help me with that, but made sure to add that love is a complex emotion and must not be forced. For a second, I thought I was listening to a spiritual guru and not ChatGPT. But much like love, technological innovation too cannot be forced. It needs a strong ecosystem to thrive and flourish. Such technology is also prone to massive misuse, plagiarism being only one of the many fears. What's needed is policy, regulation, and most importantly, awareness. Yes, ChatGPT can write your reports and emails and essays and speeches, and it will get better at it with time, almost replicating your mental faculties and power of judgment. But would you really want that to happen? That choice between being comfortable and being controlled that new age choice between programming and free will will be the most critical in times to come. You were listening to Chat GPT Explained and Explored, the ABC of the new AI rage with your host Dia Reiki on the morning brief from the Economic Times. This episode was produced by Vinay Joshi, sound design Rajas Nayak, Executive Producers Anupriya Bahadur, Anirban Chaudhary and Arijit Parman. Do share this episode if you liked it. Listen to the new episodes of The Morning Brief every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday on all your favorite listening platforms. Amazon Music, Ghana.com, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. The Economic Times website and of course our very own audio platform ET Play. Also, tune in to the latest podcast from ET, Business of Sports, where we decode all about sports as a business. Tune in every Wednesday for fresh episodes. All external sound clips used in the episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.